All right, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here uh, at Blackhawk. Welcome to those of you in this room here at our Brader Way uh, site that are joining me right uh, here. And those of you who are watching also on a screen at one of our sites or venues, maybe you're in a venue here in this building, or maybe you're at a venue at uh, Upper House downtown. Uh, welcome to you guys, or you're at Savannah Oaks Middle School, and you're at Blackhawk Fitchburg, so welcome. And if you're part of our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, Dijon Zimei Ping An, which is Mandarin for peace to all brothers and sisters. We are going through a long uh, series in the book of Mark, and this is the fifth in that uh, series. And we're calling uh, this series The Unexpected uh, Kingdom. It's a 23-part series, and uh, this is the fifth in uh, that series. So what we have been doing uh, the last uh, few weeks is uh, really, to me, as a, as a teacher, is just so uh, exciting. Uh, we have uh, a journal that we've put together. Many of you have picked it up. Uh, the journal is uh, our way of just getting you to kind of keep track of your notes as you make through this. So if you open it up, it's basically, it's, all it is is the Bible with just lines uh, next to it so people can fill it out. And boy, the people in my life group just uh, love this. And I'm kind of surprised. I told uh, people, I said, I don't think anybody's going to really want this because it's just the Bible, basically, and everybody's already got uh, Bibles. But I said, well, let's try it. So I'm thinking, okay, whatever. So we, we had 4,000 of these that went away in like two weeks. So we had to make another batch of 2,000. So if you're keeping score at home, this is another time that I was wrong about what actually works <laughs> ar around here. So uh, there you go. This one more. My staff keeps score, actually, about how many times I'm wrong. So at any rate, this is where we've been uh, in this series uh, so far. On uh, sep uh, September the 8th, uh, Pastor Charles uh, started us out and by talking about the first verse of, of Mark, actually just one verse, and that the gospel of Jesus is about God establishing his kingdom on earth. Then Pastor Matt talked about the fact that Jesus is divine, son of God on earth, living out the mission of Israel, and that's also in chapter one. And then on September the 22nd, I covered about five verses in chapter one, and that was uh, Jesus calls people to follow him and get more people to follow him. And then that last week, uh, Pastor Charles finished chapter one with this message, the kingdom of God is invading uh, a world under satanic rule. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one and Jesus is kind of coming, going behind enemy lines and he's opposing what Satan is doing here. My message today is Jesus faces opposition from the religious leaders. So if you were paying attention to that, that four of the messages that we've already been through, they all cover one chapter, chapter one of the book of Mark. And so if we're going to get through Mark, we're going to need to pick up the pace a little bit. And that would be this Sunday, actually. So we're going to cover all of chapter 2 today and part of chapter 3. Because what Jesus is doing is depicted very intentionally by Mark in five different scenes. As he is, just like last week, he was opposing the satanic, demonic realm. And this week he's going to oppose the like religious uh, Pharisees. So that's what's happening. Well, the problem that I have as uh, a speaker is as we get into the text, you're going to run into this opposition party called Pharisees. And uh, Pharisees, uh, in, if you've grown up in church world, 
you know that Pharisees are kind of like the bad guys in the Bible and that Jesus is opposed to them and they're opposed to him, stuff like that. If you've grown up in church world, is that true what I just said? If you've grown up in church world, you've heard that, raise your hands. All sides and venues have heard that before. Okay. So that's a problem for me as a speaker because I want us to appreciate how the first century people would have understood who the Pharisees actually are. So if you were a normal person in Galilee in the first century, you would look up to Pharisees. You would love to have a Pharisee as a neighbor. If your daughter came home and said, I'm marrying a Pharisee, you would go, woohoo. See, in our world, a Pharisee is equated with like a judgmental hypocrite. But in that world, oh my gosh, they were like, they were like the top of the heap. Here's some things that would have come into your mind as a first century person. Pharisees are zealous for the true worship of God. They're completely committed to their faith, defenders of the faith, defenders of the Torah, the law. They walk the talk. They're masters of spiritual discipline, spiritually respected thought leaders. So they are the people who really wanted the Messiah to return. And as they look back to the, uh, what we call the Old Testament, their Hebrew scriptures, they look back and they said, this is the problem. The Israel never kept the law. And because Israel never kept the law, God sent all of these prophets and said, oh, you're not keeping the law. And because you're disobedient, I'm going to send you into exile. And the Pharisees look back at that and they go, the reason God sent them into exile is because they weren't being obedient to him. So how can we reverse that? Their, their way of reversing that was to protect God's law and to add more laws in front of it so that if you kept these laws, you would really keep God's law. You guys follow that? So the reason they added all these extra rules to God's rule was well-intentioned, well-intentioned. And they wanted people to be obedient so that if we were obedient to the law, then God would send the Messiah. If we fail to recognize how well-intentioned and how good-spirited the Pharisees were in their intentions, if we fail to recognize that and just dismiss them out of hand, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites. If we fail to recognize how well-intentioned they are, we will be blind to the dangers of becoming a Pharisee in our own world today. These were good people, Bible-believing people, conservative people, and they wanted the very best for God's people. That's the Pharisees. But it's so easy for us in our world uh, to become like they were, to become what my friend calls accidental Pharisees. I have a friend in California named Larry Osborne. He wrote this book called Accidental Pharisees. And uh, the front page reads like this. Avoiding pride, exclusivity, and the other dangers of overzealous faith. So we can be overzealous in our faith, you guys. And we become accidental Pharisees. And it just kind of pushes people away from Christ. It just does. It's a great little book uh, for your life groups. You can find it on our blog page. So what Jesus is going to come and do uh, today, as we read in, in the book of Mark, is that he's basically, you know, I'd like to say he's just picking a fight with the Pharisees, but that's too strong. What he's really doing is, well, he's picking a fight with them, actually. <laughs> he's picking a fight. 
If you think that Jesus is meek and mild, you need to leave that at the door. Jesus is like a linebacker for the Badgers. And he's like, he's like putting his finger in the chest of the opponents. And he's like saying, you're not messing with me. Hey, 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 hey. I'm the son of God. I have authority on the earth. I'm not afraid of you. That's what he's doing in this chapter. If you think that Jesus is like, well, he's really me. No, 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 no. Read the Bible. Jesus is like a linebacker. Hey, hey. That's not happening on my watch. That's what we'll see today. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. The linebacker chapter. What Mark does is he presents five scenes consecutive scenes and so instead of separating them we're just going to cover all of them and all these scenes that what they have in common is Jesus is intentionally intentionally doing things that upset the Pharisees intentionally so he he brackets this uh, these five scenes with bookends and the bookends at the very beginning uh, the end of chapter one as he reminds us how popular Jesus is so look at the last verse of chapter one and you see this, the people still came from everywhere. So there's, he, whenever he goes into a house or a village or something, there's no room for him because he's, he's the healer, he's the exorcist, he's really good at that. And people are just flocking around. We'll go through all five scenes and then we'll see at the end of those five scenes the other book end and we'll see again that Jesus is extremely popular with ordinary, sinful, just riffraff of society. But with the religious people, that's a different story. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So some of you go, well, I thought home was Nazareth for him. Well, here it says Capernaum's home. So scholars go, oh, maybe he was already kicked out of Nazareth. You know, that Mark doesn't tell us that right here and a little bit later. But he's come home. So where's Capernaum? So Capernaum is north. It's not in Jerusalem. It's, it's north. It's, it's where the normal people live. Where the normal people live. If you flew over uh, the site of Capernaum today, this is what you would see. is an aerial shot. Uh, archaeologists have done some excavation there. It's a very cool uh, site. I've been to that site. It's very cool. So it actually has some, you can see some where the houses were and things like that. There we go. Verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So see all these people just gathering. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, see the transition here? Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Hmm, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So blaspheming, man, that's a big deal, big deal, big deal. So the Torah says if somebody blasphemes, you should stone them to death. You should kill them. He's blaspheming. 
Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. So that's what they're thinking in their heads. Next verse. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. See how rich with irony this is? Only God can forgive sins. Yeah, well, only God knows what people are thinking, actually, too. So that's what Jesus is doing here. I love this. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. <laughs> so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, that's the crowd. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, obviously, this could be a whole sermon of itself. I mean, we could talk about those four guys that lowered this guy. What kind of roof did they actually have? And dig through the roof. We could do all kinds of things just with this passage. But for our purposes today and the remaining scenes, I want to point out, why did Jesus say what he said to that man why did he say your sins are forgiven why did he say that go back and look what he said I want you to know that's why he said it who's the you there you guys just a second this too hard who's the you there it's the Pharisees I want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins see that boom 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 this is why I did it that way hey 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 I want you to know who I am. I have authority to forgive sins. Bam. <laughs> Woo. How to make enemies, 101. <laughs> Verse 13. This is the second scene. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. All right, a couple things here. If you could ever think of a real good Jewish name, Levi would be one of those names. So Levi's Jewish. And he's sitting at a tax collector's booth. Who's the tax collectors? Tax collectors are Jewish people who work for the Roman invaders. And the Romans are Collecting taxes. And who knows the language and who knows the culture with a bunch of Jewish people. So he gets a bunch, Rome gets a bunch of Jewish people to kind of turn against their own people and then collect taxes. And while they did that, they did it in a corrupt way. They were extortionists, basically, it was the mafia. They were so hated that the Pharisees had their own laws that if a tax collector comes into your house, your whole house is unclean. And Jesus walks up to Levi, who's sitting at the tax collector's booth, and says, follow me. And he follows him. And boy, this, this is going to upset who? The answer? That's verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, one or two tax collectors, and no, 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 sorry. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples, for there were many who followed him 
when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Oh my, oh my, oh my. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come, not come to the call of the righteous, but sinners. This is scandalous. It's scandalous. He's hanging out with the wrong people. He calls this guy to follow him. And then what does he do after that? He goes to have dinner with lots of them. You see what Mark is doing in the text? How he emphasizes many, many. Mark is intentionally doing this. The many people who are just the riffraff of society, the unlearned, the people who really don't know the Torah, they flock to Jesus like iron filings to a magnet. And then people who know the Torah, whoa, 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 who is this guy? You guys follow me? He's upsetting their system. They have a way in which God's going to do things, and he is breaking all the rules. Jesus is not what they expected. Next scene, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting but yours are not? It's a very innocent question. Fasting is a really good thing. These are not the Pharisees who are asking questions. These are ordinary people. We know it's a good thing to fast. John's disciples fast. Pharisees' disciples fast. But what about yours? Now, fasting is a very good thing to do. In fact, in July, I actually preached a message about fasting. It's a good thing. It helps us focus on God. Helps us pray. But it's, a, it's a really good spiritual discipline. The Pharisees uh, knew that. There's only one required fast in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and it's the Day of Atonement. But they went overboard. So they believed that you should fast twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. So they were way ahead of the whole diet thing of intermittent fasting. They're way ahead of that. But Jesus, his disciples don't fast. Well, why would that be? Verse 19, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot. So long as they have him with them, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. So a little bit about weddings in the first century. Not a Saturday afternoon affair like it is today. Weddings then lasted like for a week or two. They were like feasts, like big feasts. Hey, dads, how would you like to pay for that wedding? <laughs> and while the, while the feast is happening, the bridegroom is present. I mean, everybody's eating. Nobody's not. But when he's taken away, then you stop eating then. Now he's saying, I am the bridegroom and I'm here. And my followers are going to feast. But there'll be a day when I go away and they can fast. A couple more analogies. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse you guys follow that verse 22 and no one pours new wine into old wineskins why 
Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins because the fermentation, the bubbling, and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. You don't pour new wine into old wine skins because as it ferments and all that gas happens, well, those old wine skins have already expanded as much as they can. You put it into new wine skins so that it can stretch out with the wine. It's a very offensive statement that Jesus is saying. He says, I'm new wine, and you don't put me into an old system. That's your system. No, no. I'm the new deal. I need a new platform. I need a new system. Your system is old. I'm blowing it up. That's what he's actually saying here. You guys follow that? I'm not making this up. That's what he's actually saying. You don't... He's, he's, he's Apple iPhone 11, you guys. Okay? So... This takes a, new, it new, takes a new platform, okay? That's why there's 13.2.1 or whatever they got now. So you got an old phone, you want to keep up with a new platform. You got a, Apple sending you messages about the fact that you need to join them with their new platform. But a new phone requires a new platform. He's new. And this system that exists today is going away. I'm blowing it up more lessons about how to make enemies. Verse 23. Scene number four. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? All right, so what's the law? So you go back to Deuteronomy and you find what the law is. The law is on the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Well, what is work? Well, the Pharisees had all kinds of rules to describe what actually is work. And one of their rules, not God's rule, one of their rules was you can't harvest on the Sabbath. And now these, fair, these disciples are going through and they're harvesting. They're picking heads of grain. This is unlawful. So they're upset with Jesus. Verse 25, he answered. Have you never read what David did when his companions companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Drop the mic. (laughs) You you get it. Boom, 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 boom. You know anything about Hebrew? Sabbath's a big deal, okay? The guy you're looking at right there in Galilee, he is saying he is Lord of the Sabbath. Boom, boom, boom. You guys get it? That's what he's doing. He's intentionally saying these things. And it ticks them off. It's Jesus making mild. Not, not hardly. Here's the next scene. And it's the climactic scene. Chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them. That's the Pharisees. Were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Jesus. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. He wanted to make sure everybody saw what he's going to do. Then he asked them, that's the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? <laughs> but they didn't like being trapped in a corner, and they remained silent. Verse 5. He looked around at them, that's the Pharisees, in anger deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. <laughs> see that scene? Do you get that scene? I want everybody to see this. He heals the man And man, does that tick off the Pharisees. And before he healed them, he looked at them with anger. Hey, hey. Pharisees and Herodians, they didn't like each other, like Democrats and Republicans today. <laughs> they never agree on anything. They never agreed on anything. And they agreed on one thing, Jesus is a problem. 16 chapters in the book of Mark and we're six verses into the third chapter and they already want to kill him. That's what Mark is establishing in his book with these five scenes. The end of chapter one, Jesus is opposed to satanic rule and here he's, he's opposed to the religious hypocrites. And then the book end follows and the book end is Everybody else liked him. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. That's how Mark closes off this scene. Very intentional what Mark is doing. How does it apply to our lives? Well, what happens here in these five scenes is that we see something that is very common in the Bible, and it is this lesson, that actually religion can be damaging to our spiritual health. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. <laughs> and we are a religious place. This is a theme that re repeats over and over again in the Torah, in the writings, in the prophets, Religion can actually be damaging to our spiritual health. And if we're religious, we should, like, that, that should concern us. I'm religious. I love God. I love his word. I try to practice spiritual disciplines. I, I try to be a spiritual person. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't want to be that way. So how can I keep from being that way? How you guys doing? You follow me? Here's a couple of ways we can keep from being accidental Pharisees. It's number one. Accidental Pharisees love to add to God's word. So that's the whole deal here. Their, their rules are just as important as God's rules. They've added to God's word. Accidental Pharisees love to do this. Sometime at Blackhawk we talk about form and function. This is what most Christ followers fight about. They fight about forms, not functions. 
Functions are eternal. They never change from culture to culture. They're always the same. It's like worshiping God would be a form. Praising God would be a form. The fact that we should gather together to worship God, that's, like a, that's, like, that's not a form. It's a fun, these are functions. Forms are like specific ways in which you would do a function. Like uh, if you, ga- you need to gather together on Sunday morning in a building at 9.30 to worship God. Well, that's a form. It's not a function. Do you see the difference? That's a particular way that you're trying to do the function, but people make the forms more important than the functions. That's where you get all these problems. How are you guys doing with that? Let me give you an example. Uh, Not too long ago, uh, a person came up to me in this room here and was very upset and said to me, uh, how come you don't have a cross on the platform? So if you're in another cider venue, in our venue right here, we don't have a cross that's permanently fixed. So I said, oh, uh, well, sometimes we have a cross. Sometimes we put it there. Sometimes it's on the screen. You can see it. And he's like, listen to me. And I said, um, we have a sc- cross on the steeple, actually. If you, just, you can't worship God unless there's a cross in the room. And that's why I can't come to Blackhawk anymore. And he turns around and walked away. So my, my uh, brother here is in danger of becoming an accidental Pharisee. So There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a cross in a room. It's a great symbol, and it can really elicit worship, and it does for millions and millions of people. It's fantastic. My saying, I'm saying there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to. That's a form. And certainly in the first couple of centuries, you're not going to find the cross in anybody's worship facility, right? You know that, right? Because a cross to us is a religious symbol. A cross in the first century was a torture device. Exactly right, right? It would be like in our day, uh, having a large electric chair in the auditorium <laughs> when people would uh, come in. And if your brother or sister or mother or father died on one of those things, when you walk into a place and you see that, you're going to throw up. You're not going to worship. See what I'm saying? The cross didn't appear in religious art until the third century until all the people who had seen a real one had died off. So it's a very good thing. Don't, I don't want emails about the fact that the crosses aren't good. They're good, okay? I'm just saying that when you make that something, well, if you don't have that, you cannot worship. That is putting your rule in front of God's rule. In front of God's rule. You're in danger of becoming an accidental Pharisees. This is why we have so many denominations. This is why we have so many divisions. Most Christians fight about forms, not functions. Second, accidental Pharisees care about the rules, not people. There, there was, none of the Pharisees were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that man just got up and walked. Like, whoa, that's a cool Oh, look at his shriveled hand. It's like, wow, this is unbelievable. It's like magical. None of them did that. They were upset with Jesus. Nobody said, look at all the tax collectors. This Praise God for this. No, 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 no. That upset them. Accidental Pharisees care more about their little systems and their rules than they actually care about people. Third, accidental Pharisees have a holier-than-thou attitude. When you put them in a room, ordinary people are just like, ooh, nobody wants to be around that person. It reminds me of this little science experiment. Watch this.
Now you're all gonna go home and practice that experiment right there. <laughs> so for science geeks, that has to do with surface tension of the water, which is a very important property that H2O has, and the soap uh, messes up that. But uh, sometimes, uh, when you invite me to one of your parties and you introduce me as Pastor Chris of the Big Evangelical Church, that happens in the room, actually, right there. <laughs> Thank you for saying. Because in our uh, culture, uh, whether we like it or not, fair or unfair, evangelicals are known as being hypocritical, judgmental people. And I'm a pastor of one of those people? Oh my gosh, I'm like the worst. I don't want to be holier than thou. I don't want that. But we have a reputation of being that way. There's a lot of accidental Pharisees that have kind of ruined things for us. So that's the situation. So what do we do? We go, well, I wish it wasn't like that. I'm not going to go to those parties. Well, duh. <laughs> Jesus would totally go to those parties, okay? Wake up. So in situations, what I try to do is I, I just try to... I just try to ask questions to people. Say, hey, tell me a little bit about your life. And, and if, I can, if I can pick out that they are really upset, the whole church God thing, if and if it's okay with you, I can see that this, I would, I would just love to know, I bet there's a story back there. Is there a story? And if I can get them to talk about something bad that happened to them back whatever. And you know, most of the time when I do that, when I hear the story, I go, I totally agree with you. That was awful. That's awful that that happened to you. I try to listen and ask questions. It doesn't mean uh, that I agree with everything that someone might say to me. Listen, you guys, loving someone and agreeing with them are not the same thing. Can we all at least agree on that, okay? Jesus loved the tax collectors. He didn't agree with their corrupt practices. He didn't say, oh, extortion's a great thing. Love it that you do that. He didn't agree with them. He loved them. Loving and agreeing is not the same. And I can love people that I completely disagree with. It takes work. It takes intentionality. You have to ask the questions. So who would like to hang around with Jesus? Well, normal, run-of-the-mill, sinful, sick the people who were not the spiritual elite. Those are the people. Why did they flock to Jesus? Why did they move toward him like iron filings to a magnet? Because when he was in their midst, the holiest person who's ever lived on this planet, they did not feel like they had to change to be around him. That he accepted them exactly like they are. It's actually better, and we know that, don't we? He's, he, he's actually going to die for them, actually. Those people love to be around Jesus. Do they like to be around me? Do they like to be around you? Let's pray. Father, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would help us to be like Christ. That you would help us to learn to walk in his ways, to see people the way he sees people. That we would be loving and compassionate and kind. We're already at a disadvantage 
because of the culture that we live in, it's like we're all judgmental hypocrites and that kind of thing. So we give us, give us energy to move in this culture and that when we uh, love on people, we, we listen to people. Sometimes we, we don't finish the story. We don't have to have the last word in an argument. We, we listen. Help us to be kind and gentle and loving. We pray, Father, you would keep us from becoming accidental Pharisees. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said.